Hello, welcome back to the Arcade Podcast. Welcome to the second of two special podcasts from Limpopo province in South Africa and the 2018 University of Nottingham Live project. Nicknamed Project Ithuta by the Nottingham students, uh, the project this year is for a crash in the small village of Motopong in the northern foothills of the Drakensberg Mountains. Um, established in 2009, the crash up until this project occupies a rented building uh, and it's run by a local woman called Joyce you'll hear her at some point during this uh, or the next podcast and she was trained by the Tusanang Trust which is a non-profit based up in Limpopo and dedicated to supporting early years and childhood development um, through a number of initiatives not least the training of new childcare providers and new teachers so a little later than planned, uh, due to a broken hotel internet and a broken SD card reader, which was my only means of getting uh, raw audio onto my computer, this episode covers my first full week in Limpopo province, uh, which was the third week of the four weeks of the build, in which the staff and students of phase one handed over to those of phase two uh, over one night in the hotel. So in the first of these episodes about this project, you'll remember I chatted to the structural engineers Lois Playstow and Steve Wickham uh, of Price and Myers' office in Nottingham. Uh, they flew out to South Africa f- with phase one and they were on site throughout the process of laying the concrete uh, plinth for the building, uh, which was built onto a ready prepared concrete pad foundation. Uh, and they were there for most of the construction of the basic structure of the building the walls most of the uh, roof structure was complete by the time we got there um, in timber so on the evening of saturday 7th of april which was a few days after i arrived in south africa and the evening i arrived in sanin with the phase two students and staff we met up in the grounds of our hotel to talk about how the first week had gone first up here's lois we spoke three weeks ago Mm. under gray skies in nottingham uh, a week before Pete and the first phase of students left. It's now the handover phase between the two parts of the project and you're heading home today. So we're now without any engineering expertise. Uh, how's the first part of the project been? It's been quite a challenge, but I think really quite successful. We, um, it's very difficult on phase one to know what our target is because ultimately we just need to do the best we can and achieve as, as much as we can in the time so that phase two don't have a huge amount to do, especially the structural stuff. I think it's gone very well, but at the beginning we had some issues. For example, the, de- the delivery of the timber wasn't going to be until the uh, middle of the second week, um, which would have given us, well, it's later than the second week, but which would have given us a, a huge problem, and that was down to sort of, of finances and what have you. But we had to overcome these problems, but actually, Everyone worked very hard. Everyone worked as a team really well. We all communicated really well. The slab setup was fantastic because Peter set up an office and there was sort of, um, you know, the students made picnic benches. So we were, the welfare facilities were good. We had, we had tea breaks and what have you. All that sort of thing when you're in a hot climate that you're not used to makes a big difference. So if, you're, if you have a comfortable workforce, you have a productive workforce. And we also planned in the second week the work what we thought we could reasonably achieve so in the first week it's almost impossible to do that in the second week the beginning of the second week you kind of know where you are a bit better and we were able to put a program an idealized program together 
to see what we could achieve at the end of the two weeks to give some incentive and also so we can match where we are at the end of every day and feedback to the students to try and keep the motivation levels there and I think that worked very successfully. How has the design changed and in what ways have you been able to negotiate those problems to the solutions to those problems? Um, the design hasn't changed a huge amount other than as I mentioned we had a problem with the timber delivery which potentially was going to scupper the whole project. So we actually went to go and talk to the supplier of the timber in the timber mill to understand what the delay was. And they said that there was a problem with the 50 millimetre wide timbers which we'd specified for the roof, but that 38 millimetres was more readily available and the timber being pressure treated uh, also would have caused a delay. So we, we each made a decision. I was able to say, let's use a, a different section of timber which was, which was more readily available for the roof and Pete was able to say, let's not pressure treat it. So we had to make quite big decisions at short notice in order to basically ensure the project continued. So in terms of the structural design, not a huge amount has actually needed to be compromised. It's just the size of the timber, um, which has just led to a slightly different verge detail because the purlins have now become 228 millimetres deep and they were 152 millimetres deep. And the, the edge trim is 152 millimetres deep, which means that we now tapered some of the ends of the purlins and they actually look really nice. So we've ended up with a really nice edge detail as a consequence of that, which is a complete accident, really. Tell me about working with the, the students this year. We, the students of phase one and the students of phase two are overlapping in this hotel for one night. So last night we had a meal together and they were able to share stories. What's been your most memorable experience of working with this year's students on this project? I think it's that when you when we've shown them how to do something, you know, they've been they collectively have been an asset. You know, they haven't been a drain. They've been an asset, they've been a positive force. And they're all incredibly bright. And they have asked really good questions and sometimes we don't know the answers and it's good that they can see that we don't know the answers or that we are only human and we try and work them out with them and in you know because they they've been so engaged they have asked very sensible questions literally in the heat of the moment trying to work out the geometry of a piece of timber for them to go and cut it we may have made an error and they've noticed it and um and actually said is this right before they cut it is this right because they've worked out something different. It's fantastic. So it's, they're not trying to catch us out. Everyone is working towards the end goal and they're engaged enough to be aware of what they're doing and why they're doing it, spotting an error, coming back and checking. And it's just, it's just been overwhelmingly positive, yeah. I just feel at the end of this one that I feel happy to let it go and I do wish the, the phase two group um, the very best because we couldn't have done any more. We did our absolute best and it's, it's a nice feeling to think, there you go, good luck. Hello Steve, we chatted a couple of weeks ago before we left Nottingham. How has it gone for you? Well, it's been an extremely rewarding experience, actually. I've, uh, this is not the first time I've been out. It's probably the f actually the fourth time. But, uh, no, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I think we've achieved a, a, a tremendous amount. And uh, it's, on, it's on so many levels, isn't it? We've got... We're, we're building something useful. The students are learning how to construct. We're learning about the local environment. Uh, we're learning about local materials. And, and from a construction point of view, I, I was thinking about this 
the other day, and I was thinking it's it's back to basics, isn't it? Building building structures are, are very simple things, and it's, it's taking into account local materials, deliveries, all these other little things that you don't necessarily have to think about when you're designing in an office back home. We have to learn everything. Lois has already filled us in about the you know the the changes had to be made along the way because of the difficulty sourcing the right timber but that was resolved and that moved on i'm interested because last night over dinner and at breakfast this morning we've talked a little bit about the nature of timber frame building here because it's obviously a very good way to work with students on these projects because it's you know uh, you can achieve something quite quickly um what have you learned about the, the sort of the big decisions about the materials we use, the structural systems we use? Would you do things differently in future? Would you want to experiment with other forms, or do you think this is the right way of building for this for this context? I think it's. I think it works well. There's a lot of local timber. I mean, uh, you noticed as you drove here over the over the hills from Polokwane to Zanin. There's a lot of forestry there. So, you know, it is a local material, which is good. You've got both the softwood, the conifer woods, and you've also got the eucalyptus. So there, is a, there are hardwoods around. I mean, we're using just softwood here. So it's a locally sourced material, which is great. It's quick to build. And I believe it, it is actually suited to this, this climate. It is generally dry. The, the, the one issue is the uh, durability and the, and the termites. But I think with the correct treatment, I, I think it's OK. And as you say, it's about one of the few materials we can get a building up in two weeks. We've got, a, we've got the frames of two decent-sized buildings and a roof up in, in two weeks' time. So that's, 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 that's remarkable. No, I think it's a good material. It's not being generally used at the moment, but I think it, um, it could be. And I know that the timber merchants were keen to uh, promote their material. They felt that um, more buildings could be done in timber frame around here than are being done at the moment. There's a lot of work went on site went into just making sure the timber frame is raised off the ground sufficiently to, uh, to, keep, to keep it durable. Uh, and there may be other ways of doing that because there's a lot of, lot of concrete work which was quite time consuming and, and physically hard. We mixed a lot of concrete by hand to create these plinths to raise the timber frame off. So I think we get, for future phases, if we use timber frame, we might investigate other quicker methods of, of doing that. But no, I'm very happy with timber frame. It's, it's worked really well. What has been for you the most memorable aspect of working with students this year? I think their development, the way that they've understood how things are put together and their enthusiasm. They've learned how to manually use tools and make, do physical labor, things that they might never have done before in their life. And okay, everybody's a bit hesitant when they start, but you can see within days after they've been doing a, a process how much more confident they are about hammering in nails, mixing concrete, and those skills will be with them for the rest of their lives. Uh, I, I think that's one of, the, one of the biggest things. But also seeing the client, the, uh, going into the creche that they've got at the moment, and the, the wonderful little kids up there, uh, and they're very enthusiastic about the building that they're, they're getting as well. That's, that's been very worthwhile. I think I just feel very privileged to be a part of this. It's a wonderful country. Everyone's so friendly. There's lots of smiles in the street, lots of good-natured things. I mean, you do hear quite a lot about crime in South Africa, but I haven't experienced any of it. I've just experienced people being very, very friendly towards us. I haven't experienced any resentment or anything like that. So, no, I'm 
very rewarding. Mm. Mm. That was Steve Wickham. This year's project is being coordinated for the first time by Pete Russell, assistant professor uh, from the University of Nottingham. He was here last year for one of the phases of last year's project. This year he's uh, taken over as interim project coordinator for the live project. Although we didn't get a chance to record a conversation before we left Nottingham for the last episode, we had time on Sunday evening, the night before phase two began on site, to talk a little bit about what a project of this scale involves. Pete Russell, first of all, tell me, where are we right now? We're in Zanin, which is in Limpopo, in kind of northeast, northeast South Africa. I'm paying attention. But we're, we're at the hotel, the hotel compound where the university has approved and we're allowed to keep our students safe and secure uh, and have a good night's sleep. And we're drinking a quite nice white wine. Thank is you very much. It's purely incidental that South Africa has great wine and that restaurant over there can sell you a really nice bottle of wine. So you've been involved with Nottingham's projects in South Africa for two years. This for, one, for two projects, but for just one year. I joined Nottingham a few months before last year's project and went right away. Um, and then this year I've been more involved. And earlier in this podcast I spoke to John Ramsey, who can't be here this year but who has seen almost all of the projects, and so there's the continuity there. Can you talk a little bit about what your role is uh, in this project? You've, I've been, I'm very conscious of all the things you've been doing and running around, but <laughs> how would you characterize your role, and what have you found the most enjoyable, the most challenging, and the most important in what you do to get this project running? Sure. My role is a tricky thing, because I'm trying very hard to recognize my, the, the interim nature of my role. Um, but I'm very cognizant that that interim label may, may itself be very interim. Um, so for lack of a better word, I am in charge of this project. Uh, I've seen it from the studio process and I've managed the studio. Um, John had to step back in October or November, but we didn't start until September. So he, he stepped back quite early. And since then, it, it's been mine to do most everything. Um, so we've kind of looked after the university regulations, the finances, the, the travel organization, the flights, the accommodations, material orders, health and safety, uh, insurance, legislation, and then actual construction, finding a staff team and all of it. It's a comprehensive role, I would say. And it is one that is every year refined a little bit based on the experience of the previous year. I, I'd like to think so, but... Um, we're going through more refinement now than we have in the past based on based on the kind of injection of new ideas I think um, and that's John fully supports that to my to my understanding he's quite excited to have more people working with it um, I'm comfortable finally just barely in saying I'm in charge of this circus it is mostly what I very much what I like to do it's, this is this is more important to me than most of the rest of the stuff that comes with working with the university. Um, I think we do a very good job. I think we could do a lot of things much better. Um, you and I have talked previously about uh, Jeff Jertsen in, in Louisiana. And one of the things he says is that these projects can be very uh, taxing on individual staff members. And that's, I think, a very true statement because for everything I love doing about this, there's things I absolutely hate. 
for example, last night we had to order 20 pizzas to feed students. I really have very little capacity for organizing pizza for people. Um, and it's, you know, the running about and meeting people and building relationships is very, very important. But I've mu I find the, the work with students on site and the construction of it to be much more enjoyable for me. But that's a, it's a personal bias, I think. For the benefit of our listeners, can we, your relatively new appointment at the University of Nottingham, can you talk about how you came to be here, the, the roles you've had before, and also how running a live build project in South Africa for a British university is drawing on some of the things you've done before? Sure. Uh, I came to architecture maybe through the back door, I think, probably. In the U.S., we have the, the direct entry master's degree approach, right? The, the three-and-a-half-year program, the kind of nominally. And so my first degree was in sociology. Um, one of the courses I did that in my kind of hippie liberal arts college uh, was to understand workplace and job satisfaction. And at that time in the late 90s in the U.S., the highest rated job satisfaction of anybody was a carpenter. And so that's after university, that's what I went and did for a while, and I was a carpenter for a while. Recognizing the physical toll that that takes on a body, I pursued architecture to be more challenging. And I found architecture school to be a very confusing place, um, both as the perspective of a, car of a carpenter and through this kind of sociological lens that I'm not sure they realize they are a kind of subgrouping of, of a society in their own right. Um, and so through that, I've, I began to, what, uh, one of my advisors back then would call find my tribe in architecture. And they were people that were doing these kind of hands-on things, people that had been about in the sixties and kind of, uh, makers, design builders, um, not necessarily as ambitious as the rural studio, but similar kinds of ideas in this kind of community engagement and trying to find a mutually beneficial project where students can do something that's going to have a tangible benefit for something and so that's that's how I wound up doing that um, and then via Glasgow and Strathclyde University mostly just to live in Scotland began kind of teaching in studio there with some of this and some of the ambitions of their former head of the department and then to I went to the University at Buffalo to run the the materials and methods shop and try to make that a vehicle for design build projects and so teaching studios there building affordable housing uh, for the last three years and then wound up in Nottingham as they were advertising someone to do this kind of work and I, uh, I wouldn't call myself an Anglophile but some people might so it just seemed like a great fit. You have moved back to our shores several times. I yeah I'm transatlantic hopping. But you've, you've also moved to Buffalo twice, as you told me. <laughs> Something not many people do. <laughs> um, so let's talk about where we're, we're sitting on the balcony in the hotel. It's uh, just after sunset uh, on Sunday night. And we're sort of two weeks into the project. You've been here slightly more than two weeks. You came out before. Three weeks, give or take. And today we said goodbye to the students and some of the staff members, uh, Lois, and Steve, the two engineers, they have uh, gone back with Malcolm, one of your technicians from the workshops at Nottingham. So they're on their way back to Johannesburg and should be back to the UK overnight. Uh, so we're at the beginning of phase two and we have 15 students checked into this hotel who have not been to site yet, who have not seen the building and they are going to take the project to completion in the next two weeks. That's the plan, yeah. That's the plan. And we're here too to sort of make tea and, you know, point at things and say, <laughs> what is the routine tomorrow from, from the get-go? When are we up? What are we doing? What comes first? Because I know you've put a lot of focus this year in not so much welfare, but sort of 
making sure that the project runs smoothly on the, in the details. Can we talk about when, when, when does the alarm go off and what do we do on site and when? I've, I've put a lot of energy into trying to ensure that, we, that the project runs smoothly and to completion, which means being very focused on a, obtainable goals, both in terms of a full project and in a daily basis. Um, so I keep a program of what I think, where I think we should be. Um, and at, at week two, I'll generally share that with the students because they're ready for it. Week one, they're more ready to have a kind of daily update. Um, so as part of that, the, the benchmark is, is 7 a.m. That's when we, we desire to set off in the bus. And our driver usually is here anytime between 6.45 and 7.15, and he's acceptable at what he's doing. I think it's safe to say that Doctor will not listen to this podcast, so you can speak freely about our bus driver if you I want to. I should have fired him four times ago. Not for the reason he's not fired is because he's he provides a, a reliable, safe service. So that's what we're primarily after. Um, he just uses a lot of diesel. I think he's running an overnight taxi company with my van, and that's just the price to pay, I guess. Anyway, so we 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 set the we set the bell for seven. That's our goal to be out of here. Uh, and the students generally will wake up at ten to seven. Uh, we did have a few that woke up at six thirty to get breakfast, um, which is unusual, I think. In the past, it's been they wake up at 7 to get to the bus at 7. Our staff is usually up around 6 to have breakfast and be adults and a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And then we're downstairs at 6.45 to collect lunches and make sure all of the things that we need throughout the day are organized. I'm usually up at, uh, up at 5 to make sure that we have everything we need for the day, that we know where people are going to be when. Um, and then we're out to site. Uh, we work until 10 or 10.30, we have a break um, because of the heat and because, again, it creates this routine of a day that allows for the most productivity, the least amount of getting tired and resting. We have a break, and then we work again until lunch. We have a lunch, we have another afternoon break, and then we usually finish around 5.30, and then 5 or 5.30, and then clean up the site for half an hour. And we're back in the bus and we're home. Sometimes students go to checkers. More often than I'd like, doctor needs to put diesel in the bus. And then when we're, we're back here, the staff usually has a meeting over dinner to kind of prepare for the next day, recap what we've done, where we are on the schedule, um, make, make a shopping list for the next day from the hardware store if there's anything we need. Um, and then we're usually done in, in our room by, that staff meeting's usually at 7, we're usually back by 9. Um, I usually try to work until about 11, 11.30. Um, making sure that the budget's updated, that things are sorted, filed, emails are sent, whatever I need to do for my real job. And then uh, then to bed, and we go again. And now my phone's ringing. I should have turned that off. Who is that? South Africa. Can I take this? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Hello? Who is this? Yes. Okay, I'm not in my room, but what can I do for you? That was the hotel desk, and they want me to move students around to make their situation more efficient, which is, I guess, my responsibility to do, so we have to. Today we snuck away, just the staff, and we took the two pickup trucks and went away to look at the site before the students get there, and you ran through what's ahead of us today. And the thing that really strikes me is that you've built a hell of a lot in 10 days. I mean, there's, yeah. the structure is done, the walls are done, we need to put more purlins and some beams on the roof and then put the roof on. But uh, you 
despite all the inconveniences, you must be feeling somewhat satisfied in 10 working days to have created a, a building of how many square meters? I have no idea how big it is, to be honest. I it, still speak Imperial as well, so I would say it's, it's probably around 1,000 square feet, maybe. I think we're in a good place. What's your priority for the next couple of days as we transition in with these new students? Well, the initial priority is to make sure that work doesn't come to a standstill as the new group gets settled in, because uh, there is an adjustment period that we have to be comfortable with, and I get that. Um, so the priority right now, I guess, is to get the to get the, the roof on and the metal deck on the on top of the roof as soon as possible, because at that point, we no longer have to adjust our work schedule to the weather, so that if it does rain, everybody can be inside the building and still working. Um, so the sooner we can do that, the better. Um, and that's going to be the priority, I guess. The next morning, after I'd spoken to Pete on the balcony of our hotel room, the students of Phase 2, including the three who had come up with the outline design of the building many months ago, saw the village and the building site and the partly completed building for the very first time. space around to play as well. So. so good, I'm so pleased. Are you slightly looking for changes as well? Or are you just like, right, now where is that bit of it that I drew? Or where well, I'm noticing little things. Like, I think we, I, we didn't know exactly how it's going to be, anyway, but like the windows, I think we designed all at the same level. But, and these doors, we, we, we already knew we'd move these. This one in the middle. We wanted to open up the corner, so we wanted to have almost three that go all the way around. But in terms of the support of it, we'd have had to put in some kind of steel frame and all sorts, so it would have been more difficult. But it's still quite open, because this end's quite closed off, so we wanted to open up one side, but I think it still works. Who are the, um, the other two designers? Yara and Montana. Ah, okay. Hello! So go on, what do you think? Like, I'm speechless, honestly. Like, I'm so excited. It's like seeing... You know, going from like a drawing on a paper and then going on like a digital uh, render like on a computer and then like actually seeing it in real life. It's like it's surreal, like I love it, I'm so excited. First impressions are good? Yes, it looks so good because we obviously had to like tweak some things but I love how it's uh, like the different like uh, level, like the slope of it. It really like gives the room like a different kind of like 
dynamic. Like it's very interesting. It's more fun. How's it going? Well, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Good. The journey is just beginning. <laughs> By this stage, halfway through the build, phase one had completed almost all of the timber frame structure. Uh, and it was requiring only a few remaining purlins, some noggins, and then the OSB roof deck to be installed in phase two. Now the complexity and the health and safety issues with building a roof meant that students were not allowed to be part of that. So I was one of a team of five staff who had uh, some specific responsibility to build the roof uh, over the course of this first week of phase two. At 8 a.m. Monday morning work began in earnest and that was to set the pattern of work uh, for the next two weeks and it was on the second day of our first week that Terry Morgan of the Tusenang Trust uh, who are effectively the client for this project paid a visit to the site to see how work on the building was progressing just to make it all bright and yeah this is what, what Joyce and said she wants it to be bright and inviting and yes. quite fun um, but what about the, the maintenance of it because that's always my concern is maintaining it so once it's painted it, how hard is it going to it should wear very oh, well. We'll okay. use a we'll use a really robust. Uh, I think it's enamel here, but I would call it oil-based paint. Enamel-based, yeah, enamel um, paint. Yeah. And it does it does stick to fiberboard even okay. even better than timber. Okay. Actually, so it shouldn't need to be painted yeah. for a, yeah. years and years. Because that years. that is, I mean, you know that. It's yeah. a, um, um, maintenance is always the issue. So everything has to be as as maintenance-free as one could possibly yeah, make it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the columns and the window sills will all be painted in stoop stoop paint. Oh, stoop paint, yes. Stoop okay. Paint. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Terry Morgan. I'm the director of Twisted Trust. Our main focus is early childhood development. So our involvement with Nottingham has been uh, because of early childhood development. So if we can help the creatures to have a better environment for the practitioners to implement what we teach them, that is what we're interested in. Our end result that we want is the well-being of the young child. Okay, so that is what we look at. And how does this creche fit within the provision for early childcare in South Africa? What I know that this is being built to meet certain requirements yeah. and standards set by the federal government. Yeah, yeah so there's certain norms and standards that um, the creches have to comply with. The university was aware of those, so hopefully all of those are being met. The creches have to register with our Department of Social Development to operate as a legal entity. And to do that, they have to comply with the norms and standards. So where they were before this particular school was not their own land. They were in somebody else's space. So this, this has been given to them by um, the Induna of this community, the head man, has um, allocated the space for a community-based creche. We work in quite a wide area. So the area that Nottingham has been working in has been more or less this area, which is east of Zanin. So we are based in Mkhubiskluf, which is uh, west of Zanin, up on a mountain. And, but the areas we work in are quite wide. So this is just one of the areas that we work in. Um, and then, of course, you have various villages that fall under different chiefs in this area. So this is community-based. It's not necessarily state-supported. So although the state, um, in their sort of plan, their um, sort of plan for the, for the future, is they want every child to have access to a good quality early childhood development. I mean, that is what the plan is. But to get there, they also need the help of NGOs and community and other people. You know. So they realize that they can't train everyone themselves. So yes, we, so we're part of the government plan, but um, they can't do it all themselves. Our criteria for the, the beneficiaries of, of this, okay, were that the people had to have been trained by us, they had to have been uh, affiliated, the creches affiliated to us. 
and we had to believe that they were doing really good work. So our trainers have assessed um, the, the practitioners and have assessed them to being implementing well what they have learned. So that is the main criteria. So obviously, there's got to be, it's got to be community-based. So it's not a private crash, it belongs to the community. And that the people who are working there are, are doing their best and are implementing what they're training to benefit the children. So they can facilitate the development of the children. And it's now Tuesday of the third week of a four-week build. Yeah. And you've just come to have a look yeah, at the no, it's around. amazing. Yeah. Do you think we can do it in four I, weeks? I've seen it before, so I really believe you can do it. Yeah. I, I would have said no. I would have said it's not possible. Okay, because it's a lot to do, and it's actually quite a big building. It's a big building here. So I would have thought it's not possible. Um, having seen what has been done, I believe that you will do it. Each day on site at Project to Theatre starts the same way. Uh, a minibus comes to get the students from the hotel before seven. The staff meet and have a shopping list for the builders' merchants. One of us will take one cab truck to the um, builders' merchant. The other will go directly to site to unlock it. And it's about a 40-minute drive out of Sanin towards the village of Lenyenya and then a about another 10 or 15 minute drive down to our site in the valley and then this rather bumpy approach around the edge of a playing field to the site and most mornings like this morning it is already beautifully warm and sunny there's kids waving at us as we come in and we find our site on the edge of this playing field in the middle of this little village and one of the trucks, in this case, today it's me, will be parked with its back uh, into the site. So we have an emergency vehicle if we need any one to get medical assistance, ready to go at all times. And now the small matter of eight hours hard work begins. My name is Tony Gospel, I'm workshop and laboratory supervisor in architecture and built environment at the University of Nottingham. What does your normal day job involve? My normal day job involves designing and building research rigs in different sections of architecture and built environment, but um, environmental education. And so today's not an ordinary day in your day-to-day -day life? No, I usually work with metal and plastics rather than with wood and you normally work in nottingham not a village outside <laughs> sanin in the northeast of south africa that's true the view is much nicer here you've done these projects for a couple of years and on both phases of the project someone from nottingham's workshop team has been here so you took over from malcolm who was here for phase one and you're doing that you're giving up your time to come and do this how do you find the experience of working here because we chatted a little, this morning you were on the that we have two pickup trucks that come out to site every day one goes to the hardware stores one comes here to open up so today was the first time you did the sort of run and you brought us a lot of new materials a lot of stuff to work with um what's your experience of working here like <laughs> because, seems to have quite an, uh, a different attitude in the builders merchants i think what's been striking for us is we're working in an entirely black african neighborhood 
and yet we almost seem to be we go to almost exclusively white or white white english or white afrikaans uh, businesses and it's quite a quite a culture shock to drive the 45 minutes out here every morning it is i think they we always get a second glance from the locals don't we when we drive by so i, I expect they're as surprised to see us as it is unusual, unusual for us to see them We've frequently had locals sort of knocking on the door asking for work and when we say no they believe that we're taking their work from them. Not realising that we're actually volunteers and it's we've raised the money, designed the building and we're built putting it together. And I think we I think we're on track. I think we're definitely gonna do it. Um, it's hard for me to judge because I've never actually built anything with my bare hands before. What do you think? What what do you think of the what is the likelihood of having this done by Friday of next week? I think we'll have a functional building. Whether it would be 100% finished, I'm really not sure. It depends what the grid, degree of finish we require. Things might go unpainted, but I think structurally everything will be done and we'll have a secure building for, for people to move into. What have you enjoyed the most of the first few days? You've only been here three or four days, but what's been most enjoyable? Uh, the most enjoyable part for me is the attitude of the students. They're enthusiastic to a man or woman and uh, they're a pleasure to work with. What did you just say? I said my trousers are wet. I'm translating. Your pants are wet too. <laughs> uh, when week three or four, uh, Wednesday afternoon, what's going on around us? We're in a bit of a rain delay. So the, the roof work is on pause. But the students are carrying on, undercover, landscaping, painting, some interior work. We're progressing pretty well. We've got four, six, six and a half days left, six and a quarter, which seems terrifying, but okay. I think we've got a plan on how to finish it. And we've almost got all of the roof on. Almost, I think there's probably 20% left. Um, 40%. Yeah, but we've got 90% of the structure of the roof done, 90%, so that's good. So in front of us, there's to our left, there's a team digging a rainwater gully mm -hmm. that will go around the back of the building. And then over to our right, we've got two students on ladders, third one watching and spotting them and supporting the ladder, doing, per, um, doing noggins. Beyond them, we have two on a scaff tower who are, what are they doing? They are marking out the purlins um, so that as soon as the rain delay is over, we can get them yeah. up there. And then over here, um, Ryan, who is a PhD student participating in this project, he's just fitted a GoPro to the head, to the helmet of Gretel, yep. who's now going back to the noggin duty. Um, what have been the things that have slowed us down this week? Um, I think the the weather yesterday, but m mostly this the slowdown is due to the fact that it's a new team, so there's an adjustment period. Um, I'm actually pretty happy with the pace we've made, um, and we've had to do some calculations, some undesigned parts of the building, which takes longer, but um, it is going pretty well. Because the, the, the main thing that's held us up is that the, if you look at the roof plan, you have two C's, if you like, that intersect, yes. and those two C-shaped large, very large areas of roof um, pitched down away from each other but that means they, the two fingers intersect Yes, they had to occupy the same space so we had to make a site adjustment to make it work without causing roof a, a place for the roof to fail 
And I think the solution is quite beautiful. Um, I'm not sure how you worked it out, but... I'm not sure either. Yeah. But we're now 95% sure it's working. Yeah. It will work now. There's, there's not a place where the roofs form a valley. They, they bypass each other uh, with a very, very close tolerance. So it should be quite all right. Uh, fractions of an inch. Probably an eighth of an inch. Um, earlier today, Joyce came by and had a little walk around mm -hmm. and chatted to you with someone from the Tusanang Trust Yes. Uh, to talk about how progress is going. Um, every time I see her, she seems to be laughing and smiling. I think she's got a fairly, she's fairly excited about this. I, th I think she is, she's excited and uh, more importantly, she seems invested in it. Um, so she is willing to consider this her crash already. And so she's willing to tell us what she likes and doesn't like, um, which is not my experience last year and not, not the project's experience overall. Um, so it's really, really nice to have a head teacher uh, who's excited uh, and wants to be a part of it. It's great that Tusanang has now sent uh, one of their trainers down as well as, their, as well as Terry yesterday came down. So it's been quite, um, quite a good thing. And it sounds like everybody's coming on Friday, so we better be finished. So a week on Friday. A week on Friday, yes. So when you think about it, we've basically got a week left, haven't we? We do. Yeah, six and a half days. Um, but we're we're probably going to subcontract the the metal metal work on the roof, which will allow us to focus on the, the cladding and the interior walls and the windows. Um, and by and large, that's about all that's left, really. Um, it's just it's finished work. As soon as the roof deck is on, it's all finished work, and that's really great. And I don't think we've ever been this far along in week three, so we're doing okay. You bumped into one of your local contractors in the local hardware store in Sunin, which we always hit up at about 7 a.m. the moment the shutters rise up. We went in. You asked him something about a roofing contractor, and you told me he was somewhat surprised you needed, you needed one this early. I told him that we were going to need a roofing subcontractor because I didn't want to have to deal with the metal sheet work without the specialized tools or specialized training. And apparently we usually call for a roofing subcontractor, but about two days before the project ends and we're in panic mode. So at least we're panicking ahead of schedule. I think that's a good thing. So that's it for this second of the three special episodes about the University of Nottingham Live project 2018. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, there were some issues with the internet and the technology I used to make the podcast, which has prevented me from making the podcast every single week during the build. I'm actually talking to you from the departure lounge of Johannesburg Airport on my way home. If you're wondering why, for that reason, you can hear birdsong in the background, it's because even though I'm sitting in a rather expensive business class lounge, there's at least one small bird flying around at 9.30 at night as I wait for the flight back to Amsterdam. Thank you for listening. The next episode is going to have many more student voices in it and that will cover progress towards the completion in the second of the two weeks of phase two of this project. So stay tuned. If you're not already subscribed, you can do it right now in iTunes. Just search for the ArcEd podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher app. You can go to arcedpodcast.com. There are full instructions there. Usually you find those at the bottom of the page or you can just stream it anytime on the website. So thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again very soon with uh, progress from the second week of phase two of the project.